Today's reading is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Should we continue? That's the question I'm posing this morning. And I think it's a, a very important question for us as a church as we, as we begin a new year together. And you might be thinking, as we, if you already saw the cover of the bulletin and you saw that the question, that question, should we continue, and you're wondering, well, does that have to do with us as a church? And you might be thinking, well, that sounds a little bit extreme. Uh, did you have a bad Christmas or something? Are you cranky? you just not in a good mood, and so you decided to, to like put that out there today. And I'm answering you, no, I had a wonderful Christmas, I stayed healthy, and I, I'm not in a cranky mood, all right? And I'll unpack this question some more, and then I want to give you an opportunity to consider your own response to this question toward the end of, our, of, of my time in speaking to you today. So what do I mean by this question, should we continue? Well, the question came from a blog written by a guy by the name of Sky Jatani. Sky is a former editor and writer for Christianity Today. He's written several books. And I had the opportunity to get to know him uh, when he came through Southern California uh, scouting out a venue in 2014. The venue was for a conference in 2015, and he asked to meet with me, and we met together and had a wonderful conversation. And um, just a really, really sharp and thoughtful uh, human being. And in this blog piece, he wrote about an experiment called Church 365. Church 365. And he raised this question, what if the people who are part of a local church decided each year whether they should continue for another 365 days? This was prompted by a conversation that Sky had with a guy by the name of Bob Goff. Now, if you've been around Grace for a while, you recognize that name because we read a book written by Bob Goff together as a church several years ago. It's a book called Love Does. Bob is not only an author, but he's primarily a, a practicing attorney. And Sky writes about Bob, and he says this. He says, Bob is utterly crazy, wonderful, and inspiring. He told me about the difficulty early in his legal career of practicing law while keeping his family his priority. When it proved impossible, Bob quit the firm he had been working for and started his own. But he knew the danger. Law firms like churches feel the insatiable need to expand institutionally. And before long, he would exist to serve his firm rather than his family. His solution? Shut down the firm every year. Everyone at Bob's firm understands that at the end of each year, the organization will close up shop. Bob then decides whether or not he wants to keep the firm going. 
If he does, and there is no guarantee, he literally gets down on one knee and proposes to each of his employees by saying, will you practice law with me for one more year? And like Bob, they're each free to say yes or no. This one-year-at-a-time approach keeps the perpetuity problem in check. And then Sky asks this question, what if the church operated that way? Back to the question, what if people who are part of a local church decided each year whether they should continue for another 365 days? Fascinating question that he raised. Well, to ask the question, should we continue, is to also raise other questions, and that is, why should we continue? What are we to be about? And then the third question is, who is the we in this question? In should we continue? Who is the we? So as we begin the new year, it seemed to me like a natural occasion to, to kind of focus on important questions like these that, that are, I think are significant for us as a local church. And why is that? Because here's my reason. It's because there's an ever-present tendency for a church to simply continue to exist as an institution. See, most churches start with some cause. Most churches start with some cause. This church started with some cause back in 1913. I wasn't there. You may think I was, but I wasn't there, all right? (laughs) And it started with a cause. But what's interesting is that over time, the energy that's devoted to the cause can be diverted to maintaining an institution. And because it's gradual over time, it, it, it can really go unnoticed that that shift has occurred. Sky Jatani offers a really helpful metaphor to describe the shift of churches existing around a cause and then becoming uh, about, their focus becoming about maintaining an institution. He gives the metaphors of an ocean liner and a cruise ship. First, the ocean liner. That's the RMS Titanic. No reference to any churches or anything like that, but... But in the first half of the 20th century, the, the, the harbor of New York was filled with ocean liners. And these ocean liners transported thousands of people between North America and Europe and back again. The ocean liners connected the world before there was ever jet liners, before there was ever digital communication. But in 1953, the glory of the ocean liners faded. What happened in 1953? This. This is a de Havilland Comet. It was the first commercial jetliner to ever be developed. And the distance it took an ocean liner to travel in six days was now covered by a commercial jetliner in six hours. And so by the 1960s, the great ocean liners were turned to scrap. But that was not the end of the shipping industry. During the second half of the 20th century, the ocean liners evolved into the modern cruise business. And now that is a 40 billion, yes, billion dollar a year industry. Now, both ocean liners and cruise ships carry people on the sea. But there's a fundamental difference between an ocean liner and a cruise ship. An ocean liner takes people from point A to point B. 
It has a destination. But a cruise ship is the destination. See, the, the goal of a cruise ship is to get people on board to buy and to consume products and services that they offer on board the ship. Now think about this metaphor applied to the church. Is the church an ocean liner or a cruise ship? Is the church an ocean liner or a cruise ship? In other words, are we moving toward, are we moving together toward a destination or has the church become the destination? Uh, Being quite honest, being quite frank with you, as I look across America today, it seems to me that the name of the game is for churches to become cruise ships. That the goal is to get people on board and to consume experiences on the cruise ship. And that begs another question, what is the church's destination? What is the church's destination? If it's more than simply existing as a, as a destination that provides experiences for people to consume, then what are we to be about? How do we answer that question? And you might be thinking out there, who gets to answer the question? Is it simply just my opinion? Is it just your opinion? Do I get to talk up here and you get to go, well, I still have my opinion and my opinion is different than your opinion and that's just the way we we operate in in America. Everyone has their opinion, no one is right and no one goes out with anything, you know, with their minds changed about anything. Well, the good news is that I think that we all can have an answer and that's because as as we come together as a people gathered around the life that Jesus gives to us, then we come together as a people formed by the text of Scripture. And it's that text of Scripture that tells us and and narrates for us what this world is about. And that means that I'm not just left with my opinion. I can read it, and and you can disagree with my reading, but you have to read it as well to disagree with my reading. So we do have a third party, so to speak, in the conversation. And that is the text of Scripture itself. So my question is, what does the text of Scripture have to offer us in answering this question, what are we to be about? And this text of Scripture reveals God and reveals his character, reveals his actions, and reveals the, the role of the church in this unfolding story. That's one of the reasons why we're also doing this reading through the Bible, at least asking you to please commit yourself to do this. Because then what it can do is it can give you this robust view of where we are in this unfolding story that God has given to us. And I don't know about you, but the more that I read the text of Scripture, the more I get clarity on this, the more excited I get about, and the more responsibility I feel for what I am doing in this world. Why I'm here, what I'm to be about, and what we're to be about as a people of God. So how might God's written word answer that question, what are we to be about as a church? Well, I think that this image might help us answer this question. And this image comes from a guy by the name of Seth McBee. And if you look at this image, you'll see where he puts the church. The church is up at the fruit of the tree, okay? 
And if you look at the roots of the tree, the roots are what he's describing as discipleship. Now, when you hear the word discipleship, your mind ought to go to Matthew chapter 28. And I know this is familiar territory for many people who've been in a church, but I'm asking you to go there again, all right? So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat. It's a blue one, and um, it's page 835. Page 835, if you have an app, go ahead and turn that on. And I know you've read it before, and we've talked about it before, but I want to tell you that I've read it a lot too, and I had a a eureka moment in Matthew 28. It's possible you can continue to learn, and your eyes can be open, and you can read a text a thousand times and bring your same reading to it and screen out possibilities that are there. So I just want to tell you that it is possible to continue to grow in the reading of the text. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Jesus is, um, has already been raised from the dead. He's in his 40 days of, of he's, he's appearing to the disciples. And in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus is giving a command to his followers. It's very clear, and you've probably seen it before. But my question is, what is going on in this command to his followers? What is he trying to do? There's the words that are there, and we t- tend to go in, and we look at the specific words and begin to dissect those and you know, extrapolate those. But step back a little bit and ask the question, what is going on between Jesus and these disciples? And that's where all this, I had this kind of moment of like, oh my, I've never seen that before. Here's what appeared to me. There's a transfer going on between Jesus and these disciples. A transfer is what I just said. That's going on between Jesus and these disciples. And this is not the first time a transfer like this occurs in a text of Scripture. You can go back to the very beginning of Genesis and you see in the act of blessing, you see Jacob and Esau and, and vying for the Father's blessing. You see in this notion of blessing, there's a transfer that's taking place from one generation to another generation. There's a transfer of authority, a transfer of inheritance, a transfer of property, a transfer of God's blessing. We just read the Jacob and Esau text this weekend in the Bible reading plan, and and Jacob tricks his brother Esau, and Esau comes in, he says, Father, don't you have one more blessing? He says, no, I already gave it away. And I'm sitting there reading, I go, just go ahead, just words, just give him some more. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not too theologically astute when it comes to that. But something's going on there because he says, no, I already gave, I already made the transfer from me to this son. So we see this transfer going on. You go to 2 Kings chapter 2, a very explicit text where you have Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and the prophet Elisha. And Elijah is about ready to step off the scene and he is giving, he's transferring his authority as a prophet to Elisha. And this transfer is so explicit that it says in verse two, chapter 2, verse 15 of 2 Kings 2, that the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. 
So there's a transfer of the spirit from Elijah that gave him the ability to be God's prophet. He transfers that spirit to Elisha. So this transfer thing is found throughout Scripture. It's not just here. So in a similar way, Jesus is transferring something to his followers in Matthew chapter 28. And what is that? It's his role as someone who is sent by God to bless the world. Turn to John chapter 20, if you would, please. And this is where we'll land for the remainder of the time. John chapter 20. We heard the text read to us today. That's page 906-907 in the Blue Bibles. Look at um, verse 21 that we heard read to us. Jesus appears to his disciples, and he says to them in verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You hear the language of transfer there? See, just as Jesus was sent by God into the world to reconcile the world to God, to bring blessing, to bring bring restoration, to bring healing to the world, so he now passes this on to his followers. He says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. I'm transferring my role as one sent by God to you, and you're now being sent by me. And so this changes the focus of the church from accumulating people to releasing disciples of Jesus into the world to continue Jesus' work that he began. Again, another image from Seth McBee where it's a a great diagnostic question. Do we exist to accumulate people or do we exist to release disciples? Back to uh, to the tree image, if we can, please. But you see, that transfer involves more than just fulfilling some kind of a role or or responding to some kind of call to action. You see, there's another transfer that's involved, and that transfer is found in John chapter 20. It's the transfer of the Spirit. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is John's version of Pentecost. Later, as you fast forward to, to Acts, you see that this is exactly what happened at Pentecost. Jesus transferred his presence to all who were gathered. And just as the Spirit was poured out on Jesus at his baptism, now he pours out his Spirit on this new community. The Spirit is the presence of Jesus. When Jesus pours out his Spirit, he is pouring out his presence. The Spirit is given to empower the church to partner with Jesus for the sake of the world. That is vital. That is so, that is such a, that's such a game changer. When you realize the Spirit is not given just so that I can run around and have power to do whatever I need to do in my life. Read the text of Scripture carefully. The Spirit has been given to empower the church to partner with Jesus to continue what Jesus began. Does that make sense? There's a partnership that the Spirit is given to accomplish. No partnership, no Spirit. That's what the text of Scripture tells us. G. 
Jesus transfers the spirit to God's people so that his actions can continue through their agency. Jesus wants to continue what he has begun in this world and that's why he gave the spirit so that we can continue to partner with him and be his agents to continue what he began in this world. That's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. This is why the church exists. See, the church is the fruit of all that. As God acted through Jesus, God continues to act through the words and the actions of the disciples of Jesus. We are now partnering with God to continue Jesus' work for the sake of the world. Clark Pinnock writes this. Put the quote behind me. The church exists for the world, not for itself. By participating in the apostleship, that means sending of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Now let me slow that down a little bit and read that again. The church exists for the world, not for itself, by participating in the apostleship of Christ by the power of the Spirit. The church exists for the world. In this way, the blessings of the kingdom can now flow to the world and Christ's mighty acts can continue and be enlarged in ever-widening circles through the community at God's disposal. So this makes sense of Jesus' words in John 14, 12 when when you read those afresh again. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Hear that transfer again? Will do the same works that I have done. Transfer of role. And then he goes on to say, and even greater works. And what does he mean by that? It means in terms of volume, obviously, because Jesus had a three-year time span. So greater volume, and for that, the Spirit of God is required. The transfer of the Spirit, the transfer of the role, the transfer of the Spirit. Because I'm going to be with the Father. I'll transfer the Spirit so that we can continue, and we can continue these works and do even more works than Jesus ever did. How are you doing in that area? I mean, think about it. That just struck me as I'm standing here. Greater works will you all do if you're from the South. Y'all will do. All y'all will do if you're from the South. You will all do. You will do greater works. This is Jesus saying to us. You all will do greater works than I have done because I'm going to transfer my role and I'm transferring my spirit. Now, how are you doing? Wow. I mean, really, what do we expect? Do we expect to step into that? And do we expect to see that happening in our lives and in our life as a community of God's people? This is intended to raise the expectations, not put guilt and keep you down. It's about bringing up our eyes to see what it is that Jesus wants to do. And this is what the church is to be about. It's to be a community intended to depict in word and deed what God wants the world to become. 
We are to show the world what God wants the world to become. And the way that we live and what we say, the way we conduct our lives, we're to be a compelling picture to the world. I want to be part of you all because it's so compelling. So my third and final question is, who is the we in this question? Should we continue? Who is the we in this question? Who is the we in this question? Well, I'm going to tell you from my own personal standpoint, I, in the last two years, have had clarity like I've never had before. I wish I could, I wish, I actually wish I could, you don't get a redo, you don't get a reboot, uh, you know, you just don't get that in life. You live it forward, you look back and you learn and you say, wow, I wish I would have known that then. I'm over halfway if, you know, three score and seven, whatever the number of years is that Moses talks about. Um, I'm past, I'm halfway past that. I'm already halfway. So I'm looking at less than half of my life left. And as I look at the second half of my life that is already ticking by very, very rapidly, the one thing that, that I have prayed for and wanted to be about is to have clarity and to have focus to be about what it is that, that Jesus cares about most in this world. And that is bringing the love of Christ and the life of Christ to people in whatever way I can. And to be doing that with a community of people who want to do that as well. And I can tell you, I am so uh, excited to have that clarity, to have that, uh, the beauty of that clarity and that focus that, um, that has come from reading the text of Scripture, of, of just living life and of seeing uh, what it is that, that God wants to do and to have that become compelling for me. And I can say to you today that I have an anticipation like I've never had before of wanting to see Jesus show up so there's no, there's no doubt that it's Jesus. See, I've been, I've been in a church for a a long time. And I think it's possible to, to mobilize people, especially if you've got a, just a giant personality and you've got a big staff and you've got a lot of talented people. You can mobilize people to get things done and you can work hard and then you can say, oh yeah, Jesus did that. You know what I'm talking about? You work hard and you give Jesus the credit because that's what you're supposed to do because you're Christian. You don't want to take the credit yourself that you really worked hard and you're really talented and you're really smart. But what I'm talking about is wanting to see Jesus show up so there's no question whatsoever that we have seen Jesus show up. Now, my question to you is, how many times can you say in your life that you've actually seen that? Where Jesus shows up and does Jesus stuff. You know, where the Spirit of God really shows up and you say, the Spirit of God is really working. It's not we're working and we give the Spirit of God credit because we know we're supposed to do that. Again, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an anticipation of stepping into a way of life that is different than just living life. And and I'm not talking about, you know, that all of our lives are a mess or that we're all living subhuman lives or anything like that. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm saying that I think there's much more. And I think it's about this, it's tied into this partnership with Jesus. 
and the, the Spirit being given to us to do that and to see what happens when that happens. I am thrilled about this notion of the privilege that God gives me and us to partner with him. And for me, I want that to be the biggest privilege that I have in life, and that is to partner with Jesus in this one life that I have. One life. And I get to partner with him. Not because I was so smart and I saw the greatness of God's grace, but because God reached down. And I'm thankful for the assurance that the power of the Spirit to step into this partnership, that he will be there. And this is what I want to be about. This is what I want to give my life to. And perhaps this is what faith really is. It's just risking an openness to something that's bigger than ourselves. And maybe that we'll see eventually that we shrunk life down to just what we could control, the experiences that we wanted to have. And I hope that you don't look back on your life and regret that that's all you got out of life. But then maybe Jesus wants you to risk to open yourself up to something bigger than yourself. So what about you? What about us? Who is the we in this community? I think there's an invitation and a challenge to us today. Those last three words right there. To be a community at God's disposal.